Welcome to today's edition of the Rush 24-7 Podcast. It is so pleasing, I have to admit. It is so satisfying to see all of my predictions about what the Democrats are going to do come true. Even after 31 years, folks, it still provides immense pleasure when I am able to tell you in advance what they're going to do, and then they do it. Live from the Southern Command in sunny South Florida, it's Open Line Friday! And what I'm specifically talking about is Chuck U. Schumer. We just heard Chuck U. Schumer lay out what the Democrats are going to be saying from now to the election. What did I tell you yesterday? What did I tell you the day before? They're going to dirty up the acquittal. They're going to claim the acquittal is illegitimate because the Republicans are partisan. The Republicans are scared. The Republicans don't want to have any witnesses. The Republicans know Trump did it. And this is the worst thing can happen. We're setting Trump up to be a dictator. And that's exactly, that is exactly what Schumer was saying in his press conference today. And the rub is these people do not even want witnesses is the bottom line. And we got some audio soundbite evidence of that. So here we are, folks, at the end of yet another busy broadcast week, hosted by me, your guiding light, Rush Limbaugh, America's real anchorman. And it's Open Line Friday, which means you can talk about it. You got the Super Bowl coming up on, uh, on Sunday. You know, this is the first year in, I don't know, maybe last year, too. This is the first year that has not been a prominent front and center subject. Remember back in the old days, we get some players, former players, remember the Hutch would come on and we'd have a discussion about the Super Bowl game, at least do it on Friday. That uh, that hasn't eventuated. But the point is, it's not by design, it's just the way things happen. And, you know, I, I always lead with the things that interest me. So, But if you want to talk about it, I mean, have at it. we got a lot of Chiefs fans out there. we got a foreigner fans uh, out there. And Frank Clark... Number 55, defensive end for the Chiefs, showed up wearing a Trump hoodie. That should tell, that's all you need to know who's going to win the game. We got a Chiefs player, and he's a very good defensive end, very good pass rusher, who shows up. No, the NFL hasn't suspended him. (laughs) No, he showed up. He said, hey, my boy Kanye did the same thing. I'm all in. Something along those lines. Frank Clark, number 55. So a lot of people think, well, that's it. Chiefs are going to win. Somebody on the Chiefs got the guts and the courage to show up in Trump uh, Trump gear. Okay, um, look, folks, there's a lot going on today, and there's something that I, I was talking about this before the program with Mr. Snurdly, and as I was pontificating and opining, he said, boy, I hope you remember what you're saying. This is really right on the money, but it's nothing I haven't said before. But it was a reaction. John Bolton's out there. He was, let's see, down in Texas. He uh, spoke at a private gathering for an investment firm in Austin, Texas. And you may have heard this. He defended several of the people who testified from the ambassadorial corps and the civil service who testified before Schiff's committee, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, William Taylor, 
Fiona Hill. She was the uh, uh, British accented speaking lady. And Tim Morrison and the Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch. And Bolton said all of them acted in the best interest of the country as they saw it and consistent to what they thought our policies were. The idea that somehow testifying to what you think is true is destructive to the system of government we have, I think is very, very nearly the reverse, the exact reverse of the truth. Well, that the key here, as far as I'm concerned, and he's, he's defending his people. And I, folks, it is crucially important to remember that none of these people have ever been elected to anything. And so their, their concerns do not take into account what the American people think, because in their world, the American people are ignorant, don't know anything about what they do. And so public opinion is irrelevant, including the public opinion that elected Donald Trump. Even that public opinion is rejected. And so in that, in that way, their view of foreign policy and their view of uh, American interests have nothing to do with the fact that Trump was elected. There are two things that we have, and I'm, I'm just setting the table. I'm going to expand on this later. Uh, there are two things that we've always noted here in the era of Trump. And we noted them during the campaign when it became obvious that Trump was going to get the Republican nomination. And this stunned and shocked everybody in both parties. And then when Trump won the election, which, look, I'll admit that it surprised me, but it didn't either. I predicted, I thought that he was going to win for a host of reasons that I've explained previously. But if you recall... One of the big complaints that we had was that after and during the eight years of Obama, that nobody in our party seems to understand the country in crisis the way we think it's in crisis. Losing our culture, losing our national identity, losing the, the foundations and the values of our founding. We thought all of that was under assault and has been for a while. And then we learned that most of our party doesn't see that at all. They didn't see illegal immigration as any kind of a problem. They saw it as an opportunity. We saw it as something that could destroy one of the key elements that defines the United States culturally, economically, and in terms of exceptionalism and greatness. And they didn't. They simply didn't see it. And they don't now. They don't see as such. How can you how can you miss the magical transformation of this country from mediocrity to excellence in just the past three years? They don't see it to them. They just the country is not in crisis. All of that concern is paranoia. It's conspiracy thinking. And there's always been that disconnect. And part of that disconnect stems from the fact that when you boil all this down, the people we're talking about in Washington really don't care about public opinion. And all this time, we voters have thought they do. For example, a party loses an election. 
We've always been under the impression when we were younger and naive that the party that lost an election would realize, hey, maybe we're losing touch with the people. The people are the ones who vote, the people that determine you know, what kind of party, what kind of policies are going to lead the country. And we're maybe out of step. We've got to do something to get back in step with the people. Well, that's <laughs> that doesn't happen. And particularly on the Democrats. The Democrat side, there's nothing but pure, raw resentment. What do the Democrats do? What, what, let's look at this. When, when we lost to Obama two years, two elections in a row, what did we do? I spent those eight years doing everything I could to inform as many people as I could reach what I thought was wrong about Obama's policies, how I thought they were damaging. In other words, I appealed to hearts and minds, did everything I could to persuade people, you can't just vote on racial matters, you've got to vote on policy. This is horrible. We, and I was born out, correct, but the, what did we not do? We didn't try to kick Obama out of office, and we didn't try to say that his election was illegitimate, and we didn't start an eight-year process to disqualify him. We Okay, we lost. Why? How did we lose? I asked myself, why did we lose? What did we miss? How did we not reach voters? How did we somehow not persuade people that voted for Obama that they were making a mistake? And this was a... To me, it's an intellectual pursuit, it's an emotional pursuit, and it's a, it's a daily objective. But for these people that we're up against, look at they lose to Trump, and what have they done the past three? You think they care what public opinion is? They have utter disdain for it. They're doing everything they can to overturn the election results. They couldn't care less. In fact, these are the people out there running around trying to dismantle the Electoral College now. Well, I think when you get to the ambassadorial court, the civil service court, I think you find much the same kind of thinking. These people never face voters. They never have to get elected. They're appointed by people who win elections. And because they never face voters, they don't have to, they don't have to concern themselves with public opinion, and they don't. So whereas the American people, in mass, a vast majority, electorally anyway, elect Donald Trump, and then sit around and see his policies undermined by a bunch of people that we didn't elect, and then we have to hear, well, they're doing what they think best. They're outside the bounds of propriety. They don't get to set foreign policy. Whatever their best interests may be, they don't get to do it, and they don't get to undermine the sitting president, particularly when a sitting president knows full well he's being undermined, so he ignores them. Let's them go through the motions of producing their talking points and getting on the fall and a call and does his own thing. And these people want to ignore the expressed will of the people who elected Trump and disqualify him, throw him out of office, impeach him, or otherwise negate his election. And it's To me, a very concerning thing that there is so much in Washington, so much literal disdain for the will of the people, the will of the voters. Look, you're never going to win every time the will of the voters is expressed. But we're in a new era now where when the will of the voters goes against the expressed wishes of 
of the government, the Washington establishment, look what they do. They embark, and this is new. It used to be the losers would gather themselves and find out what happened. Where did we lose the people? What are we going to have to do to get them back? These people couldn't care less why people voted for Trump. All they want to do is make fun of and mock the people who voted for Trump and try to take that election away from them and take the next election away from them. That's one of the, so 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 to take it back take it back to Bolton here. He defends these people that essentially were trying to undermine Donald Trump. Because they are from the world he occupies. He defends several of the officials who testified in the impeachment hearings, Vindman, Taylor, Fiona Hill, Tim Morrison, Marie Yovanovitch. All of them acted in the best interest of the country as they saw it. And consistent to what they thought our policies were. Okay, so he gives himself an out. All of them acted in the best interest of the country as they saw it. If he would have just said all of them acted in the best interest of the country, period, then he would have been saying these are the people we should be listening to and not Trump. He didn't say that, so he's given himself an out. He is, he's doing a Romney here. Romney is trying to sidle up with the people that try to destroy him. These people have hated John Bolton his entire career. And look who he now sidles up to in defense because, nevertheless, he's in their world. But right in the middle of this, for any of this to happen, there has to be a degree of apathy, maybe even a full-fledged wanton disregard for public opinion. Now, do not be confused. We are not a democracy. And I don't want anybody to think that I think that the will of the people is what determines how things happen. But when it comes to presidential elections, that's why there's the Electoral College. It's not a direct democracy election. We are a representative republic, and the Electoral College is to make sure that everybody in the country has an equal representation in a presidential election. If there were no Electoral College, two states, maybe three, would be the only places presidential candidates would campaign. New York, California, Texas. And everybody else in the rest of the country would never see a presidential candidate. Because if you can win the presidency by getting the popular vote only, that's all you'd have to do. Is, well, that's why the Electoral College is set up, to make sure that massive population centers, big cities, collections of factions within them, do not have an outright, overly unfair advantage. It's a brilliant setup. And right in the middle of it is public opinion. Public opinion is expressed by an election and is represented by the Electoral College vote. So we really remain where we were when Trump was campaigning and when he, when he won. There's, no, there's very little respect for the expression of of the American people in a presidential election as well as a very obvious opinion from the people who 
consider themselves our betters, that this country's not in crisis. There's no threat. There's no abject danger being posed by, say, the policies of one particular party when we clearly think that there is. And it is this wanton disrespect for Trump which becomes a wanton disrespect for us that has so many people so agitated and outraged. And the people in the way don't even see it. And if they do, they don't even care. Anyway, I've, I've got a limit here. I've got to go to a break. But I want to expand on this a little bit more. I feel even now I haven't really hit the bullseye with this. But see, that's why there's three hours here. I have all the time I need to get it right. Plus, all Adam Schiff. Schiff is out there making it up again. Just like he made up the transcript of the phone call between Trump and Zelensky. He's making it up again. They're just at their wits' end, and we're getting near the time the thing's going to be over, and there's going to be an acquittal, and I'm going to prove to you they don't want witnesses despite their public claims. All of that and your calls and whatever else happens, Open Line Friday as we move on. Welcome back, Rush Limbaugh, Open Line Friday. Okay, CNN just had a bombshell. You can look for this. This is going to happen throughout the busy broadcast day as the, the media wants witnesses. The media is insistent that Trump be convicted. The media isn't going to let this go. The Democrats, trust me on this, they, this witnesses business is just fodder so that after the acquittal, they can dirty it up and claim it was partisan and illegitimate. But the media wants a conviction. The media is not satisfied And so CNN just had a blurb, bombshell leak, Bolton book manuscript says Trump asked him to pressure Ukraine back in May. Now, the phone call was uh, in August or July. Anyway, look, now we've got E. Jean Carroll I told you things that the Democrats always have a bombshell in reserve. Woman who says Trump raped her seeks his DNA. And now there's been a leak of the manuscript of the Bolton book. And it says that Bolton writes that Trump pressured him, asked him to help pressure Ukraine. So the media is not going to give this up and thereby pressuring the Democrats and the Republicans and so forth, because we're, we're on the cusp here of uh, a, a vote to acquit either late tonight or sometime in the morning, unless the media can stop it. Say, it's, it's all so predictable. I remember right here, sitting in this very air chair behind this golden EIB microphone yesterday, and I told you that as this thing nears its end, we're going to get bombshell after bombshell after bombshell and i ask you'll remember at what point did the american people finally say i don't believe this anymore where was this bombshell two weeks ago where was this bombshell two months ago why now the latest bombshell is the new york times and it is that john bolden writes in his book Two months before the phone call between Trump and Zelensky, that Trump asked Bolton to help him mount the pressure campaign to investigate Burisma and the Bidens or whatever else. 
in the amazing today the New York Times magically comes up with this. Rudy Giuliani is pushing back on it. Says this is it didn't happen. This simply isn't true. But the the point is that they've got these things in reserve, like E. Jean Carroll here demanding Trump's DNA because she says he raped her decades ago. And it is all timed when the Democrats think they're going to lose something. The vote on witnesses or the Kavanaugh confirmation. Uh, and every one of them, to date, has blown up. Not a one of them has has worked. Uh, this is this is the media, folks, not the Democrat Party. Now, I, I firmly believe the Democrat Party. They don't want witnesses. They don't want they don't they don't want the whistleblower being called. They want Schiff being called. They don't want the Bidens up there. This is all being done. So they can set it up and supposedly demand it with Republicans voting it down. And they can run around the rest of the year claiming Republicans are unfair, not interested in the truth. It's a dirty acquittal. Trump really did it. His bogus party helped him get away with it. It's just just a continuation of the same claim they've been making since election night 2016. That Trump stole the election by colluding with Russia. Uh, it, It... one of these situations where you do ask yourself at what point the American people wise up. I think we're actually to a point where the American people are fed up already and not paying all that much attention to this. Uh, Along the lines of the thing I talked about in the opening segment of the program, let me share with you a story. There's a guy out there named Jason Johnson. He's a a contributor at uh, PMSNBC, and I think the guy works for a magazine or website called Root. R-O-O-T, and I think it's the website established by Skip Gates, Harvard professor of something or other. Listen to this. MSNBC contributor Jason Johnson yesterday said that President Trump will eliminate Californians' right to vote in the 2020 election if the Senate doesn't remove him from office. Now, how the hell would Trump do this? He says, imagine Trump deciding sometime in June, quote, well, I heard this conspiracy theory that a whole lot of illegal immigrants voted in California, so I've decided that during the presidential election, California has to undergo extreme vetting because we can't trust their votes. We're going to shut down presidential voting in California. That's what this guy's claiming Trump will say in June. And then he said, this is the literally the kind of thing that Trump will do now. We're not talking hypotheticals anymore. We're dealing in utter insanity. You know what this is rooted in? This is based on the fact that these people take an out-of-context quote from Trump in a conversation on ABC News about whether or not he can fire Bob Mueller. And during that interview, Trump looks it's right there in the Second Amendment. I can do anything I want. I can fire Mueller. I can not fire Mueller. They've taken it out of context, and they're now running around saying, Trump says he can do anything. He can do anything he wants. He is a monarch. He's a king. He can do anything. Never said it. He doesn't believe it. These people know it's not true, but they have been so immersed in the lie of this for so long, they now believe it. And that's the root of this. 
This is literally the kind of thing Trump will do now. We're not talking hypotheticals. He will simply say Californians' presidential votes don't count. What? And people are just going to stand aside and let that happen? Meanwhile, who is it that's actually trying to overturn an election? Meanwhile, who is it that actually went out there and tried to change the Electoral College? Who is it that went out there and pressured electors in the Electoral College not to vote the way they are required to by law? When the Electoral College convened in December of 2016, this guy, Jason Johnson, is a professor at Morgan State University. He said Americans should be terrified of Trump's ability to overthrow America's democratic system. Uh, This is insane. No other way to describe this. This insane. The guy really believes it. uh, And it's the result of the free-flowing poison through these people's brains and veins and arteries and everything. They've literally been lying and, and, and consuming so much hatred that it's become who they are. They can easily throw it back at him. Overthrow America's democratic system. Who was it that now admits they got FISA warrants that were illegal to spy on a presidential campaign? Who was it that used a phony dossier put together by Russian spies, paid for by Hillary Clinton, that was the sole reason there was ever any allegation or investigation of Donald Trump, threat to the democratic system? And you and I sit here and wonder how in hell is it that people on our side do not see the crisis that we are in the midst of and face. These are people literally attempting to commandeer the next election. They have made no bones about it. Schiff has gone to the floor of the Senate, said, you got to get rid of Trump now before he steals the next election. We can't leave it up to the ballot box. And meanwhile, these people are running around claiming it's Trump that's going to tell Californians they can't vote. That's not what Trump's going to... If Trump does anything regarding California, it's going to be to try to win there and just to smoke these people and send it where the sun doesn't shine. You want to hear a funny soundbite? Grab audio soundbite number one. We put together a montage. This is mini election night redux. Remember how the drive-bys uh, election night 2016, it starts out, the coverage are all confident. They're all bubbly. They're all effervescent. They're so excited because Trump is going down. And Hillary Clinton's going to be elected. And the Obama administration is going to essentially continue. And then... Dark clouds of doubt begin to obscure the faces of the happy mobs of TV info babes and anchors. Then by nine o'clock, they start to see the unbelievable that Donald J. Trump is going to win, and they can't believe it. They are shocked and said it was one of the most fun things to watch. If you're ever bored, go back, find it on YouTube, and watch it again. So 
much like that, we have a montage of the drive-bys when the reality hits them that there aren't going to be witnesses and that there's going to be an acquittal. Russia, if you're listening, 2020 is open for investigations. We are witnessing the coronation of Trump. The worst nightmare for Democrats. The travesty, the cover-up. This is something for the ages. The sham, the disgrace. The Democrats failed. I know, I know, I know. We just have to sit and wait four years until people vote. This is step one to actual autocracy. I don't understand how anyone cannot be terrified. Tonight is really a capstone and a just total collapse of faith in American institutions. It's actually quite scary. Very scary moment. It's an insult to the American people. It's really a tragedy. It's things a farce. It's a sham. Right now, the Democrats look like they're in trouble. They sure do. We're going to return now to our regular programming. Yeah, they were so... so what did they think there was going to be a conviction? The media, yes. The media was hell-bent on forcing this to a conviction. They thought that if they could get the witnesses, that that's the end of Trump. That's it. Because they are so deluded... They think that there are witnesses in the Trump administration who have evidence of all these crimes that they haven't been able to prove yet. And then when Lamar Alexander came out and said, you know what? I don't need any witnesses. We don't need any witnesses. This thing is a farce as is. I'm voting no on witnesses. The air went out of the collective media balloon. It was like a giant fart, folks. These people just lost every bit of gas that they had stored up, and you could see them deflate right before your very eyes. And that's how it sounded. They really thought they are going to get a conviction. If they could just get the witnesses. Just get the witnesses. And I'll tell you, we're not, we're not far away from the postmortem. And the postmortem, you wait and see what happens. The media is going to start dumping on some of the House managers. Gonna say, you know what? The Republicans did it right. The Republicans could have put a bunch of members of Congress up there at his president's defense team. It could have cut, could have put Jim Jordan in there, could have gone and gotten uh, Ratcliffe and all that. But they didn't do that. They didn't, went and got some top flight lawyers. And what the Democrats, the Democrats gave us radical partisan nincompoops, Schiff, Nadler, Zoe Lofgren, Hakeem Hicks, Nicks, whatever, the postmortem is going to be Adam Schiff is not the Hollywood success story everybody anticipated, and Nadler certainly isn't. If the Democrats had just gone out and gotten a big bunch of lawyers like Richard Benveniste and others of Watergate experience to argue the case, it would have been far. You wait and see. When this thing settles, media is going to want some scalps because they have been convinced they could get a conviction in this. Now a brief timeout. We'll come back and get started with your phone calls on Open Line Friday. Welcome back, my friends. Rush Limbaugh, your guiding light and America's real anchorman, truth detector, doctor of democracy, all of that. Rolled into one thing, all combined as a harmless, lovable little fuzzball. We start in Parker Hill, West Virginia. This is uh, Brian. You're up first today. Great to have you, Brian. Hi. Thank you, Rush. Yeah, I have two sports.
sports questions I want to ask you. The first one is, do you think that ESPN will be able to steal Tony Romo away from CBS? And the second one is, should the Dallas Cowboys franchise tag Dick Prescott or should they give him a long-term contract? Oh, now, you know, folks, for sports fans, these are really two intriguing questions. Uh, Tony Romo, what, before I answer here, do you have, you, 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 what, where do you want Romo to end up? Do you have a preference? Um, I think he should stay with CBS. Why do you think he ought to stay with CBS? Because they gave him the shot at the broadcast booth. All right, I have, I, I, look, I agree with you, I think, on that. I have, I have a bit of a different reason for it. Has anybody noticed how no matter who ESPN puts in the booth, everybody thinks they're bad. The lead announcer, who is this Tessator guy? Or who is this Sean McDowell? My God, these guys are horrible. They put Booger McFarlane. Booger McFarlane put in a Booger Mobile and they brought him in the booth. No matter who ESPN puts in their booth, they end up getting ripped. It's not very good. Why is that? It's impossible to watch a game on ESPN the way they cut the game. I mean, the way they produce it. It's one of the most frustrating things in the world. They don't keep the cameras on the field. They put the cameras in the crowd. They put the cameras in their pre-produced packages. Or they're promoting this or that or other things. Some other, you, you don't get the game on ESPN. It's very simple. The reason why games are televised so people who aren't there can see them. What sense does it make to not have the cameras on the field? Fans will see even with this, much more than the ESPN announcers will see, because the ESPN announcers are worried about the next promo thing they got to read or the next produced package they've got to do. No matter, You can have a guy who gets totally hurt, obviously very injured. ESPN would leave it to do the next promo on Gatorade. And you're wondering, what the hell happened? Why are they leaving? And they put their announcers in an impossible situation. I, I think this is something that Romo is going to have to consider if he's, you know, I understand that ESPN may be willing to break the bank. Uh, what's the number I heard? Seven to ten million, which is, that's the, I mean, they're, John Madden is about the only one who's been paid that kind of money. Uh, it, it, you know, Madden, Al Michaels... Jim Nant, there aren't very many people who can make fans want to watch a game regardless who's playing. Madden was one. Madden, Summerall, when they were there, the game was bigger. It could have been a stinker. You'd watch it because they were there. Al Michaels is, if Al Michaels is there, then it's a big game and it's going to sound like a big game. Romo is nearing that status. And he's clearly unique and different than any other analyst or commentator. But for Romo to be able to do what he does, they've got to produce the game right. Romo's got to be able to tell viewers what they're seeing. And ESPN, it's I don't know if you agree with me on this, but it's one of the most frustrating things in the world to actually watch. It's not just football. Try to watch a baseball game on ESPN. It is a frustrating thing to do. Lance Barrow is one of the producers at CBS, and he's just superb. 
he's one of the best. And the guys at NBC, Fred Goodelli, they are excellent at it. So in that sense, if I'm Romo, I have to really make a decision here because my ability to be perceived as a great analyst and commentator is going to depend on what the hell is actually happening on the field that people can see. The viewers. Uh, as to what was in a question, uh, tagging, tagging, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd tag him. I wouldn't go long-term with him yet. Cowboys, I think, need more evidence. Quarterback money is going to skyrocket after Mahomes gets paid. And I'd, I'd franchise. He's saying he won't show up if he's uh, franchised. So I'd use that, too. Anyway, quick timeout. Back with more in a moment. It's funny, CNN now begging John Bolton to call in. Rudy and everybody denying this New York Times leak that Pat Cipollone, the lawyer, was involved in this pressure tactic in a meeting in uh, May. So now CNN's begging Bolton to call in. <laughs> See you here in just a minute. Don't go away. And welcome back. Greetings to you, music lovers, thrill seekers, conversationalists all across the fruited plain. You are tuned to the most listened to radio talk show in the country, hands down. It's Friday, so let us proceed. Live from the Southern Command in sunny South Florida, it's Open Line Friday. That means anything you want to talk about is fair game. Did you remember the first call we got? What do you think of Tony Romo? Should he go to ESPN or stay at CBS? We answered that with a plum. And whether Dak Prescott should be franchise tagged or sign a long-term quarterback contract. So you see, folks, a classic open line Friday call. It could be anything that you want to talk about. Phone number is 800-282-2882 and the email address lrushbo at eibnet.us. CNN is, I think now, a full-fledged joke. They have been for a while. It's not that they do things that make people realize this. They've gotten to the point now where they do things that confirm that they have become a total joke. They are, they are a parody, a satire of network news. There is a tweet here. Coronavirus Task Force, another example of Trump administration's lack of diversity. They have a picture. I'm not kidding. They have a picture of the Trump Coronavirus Task Force meeting to deal with whatever this is. And the only thing CNN notices is how many white people are in it. I'm not kidding you. I, I I didn't take a screenshot for the for the diddle cam. I, I I wasn't I wasn't thinking. But it does it does it, it, it. It's let's see one two three the president and three four five six seven eight nine people here, uh, and the fact they're all white. And so CNN, just anything anything to condemn the Trump administration, lack of diversity, no African Americans, no minorities. In the task force dealing with the coronavirus. So what? It's illegitimate? So what? It doesn't matter. So what? It's, it's, it's not something that's serious 
We can't take it seriously. Trump is such a racist pig. It's just... This is the kind of stuff that is divisive and helps divide a country, not Trump and not Republicans, not conservatives. I mentioned the first hour that I can show you that I am right, that the Democrats really don't want witnesses. Now, the media does. The media is a whole different ballgame. The media wants witnesses. The media is convinced that they can get a conviction. They are convinced they can get Trump thrown out of office in this impeachment trial. They're fit to be tied that the Democrats are not going to see this through. So just to remind you, this is what I said about witnesses yesterday. Audio soundbite number four, three, two, one. Here we go. I don't think they have the votes to call witnesses, and I think they know it. And I think that what isn't being reported, and probably nobody will ever admit, that I think there are a lot of people on the left, Democrats, secretly happy about this. When this is all over, folks, just like all the rest of this stuff has been over, it is Adam Schiff who's going to look stupid. It is Adam Schiff who is going to be exposed. Okay, now, I said that. That was uh, yesterday on this program. So when I say it, this is a strange thing. It's the way this this happens. When I say it, it enables other people to go ahead and admit it. When I break the ice... When I go ahead and explain what's what, then a lot of people feel freed up to echo the claim, knowing they can always blame it on me if it ends up to be incorrect. This is classic example, cutting edge societal evolution. So, yesterday afternoon on ABC, special coverage of the impeachment trial of President Trump, we had the anchor, George Stephanopoulos, talking to the chief White House correspondent, Jonathan Carl. And the question to Jonathan Carl, do you get the sense McConnell has a very good idea where this is going? Frankly, George, I really don't get the sense that the Democrats either want the witnesses that they want or they don't want witnesses. They don't want to see any talk of the Bidens coming in the Senate, which is what the Republicans will be talking about with a deal. What was that? Did you hear them? ABC. I really don't get the sense that Democrats want witnesses. Yeah, I don't get the, the Democrats either want they they don't want the they don't want to see any talk of the Bidens coming in here. So next we go to CBS, CBS special coverage: the impeachment trial of President Trump. And here's the anchor Nora O'Donnell talking to former Hillary campaign manager Robbie Mook. She said, we put up on screen the three Democrat senators there who could vote with Republicans for acquittal. And that would allow the White House to say this is a bipartisan acquittal. Is that the worst nightmare for the Democrats? I don't think this is going to be a big part of the election. I think the election is going to be litigated over people's economic reality, over big questions like leadership, commander in chief, so on and so forth. I think the Democrats are going to want to move on. Democrats will want to move on and talk about people's economic reality. Has the country gotten better? Do you want this man's finger on the trigger of our nuclear arsenal? Did you hear that? Not only do they not want witnesses, they want this thing over yesterday. They don't think this is Hillary's campaign manager. He doesn't even think this is going to be part of the campaign. That they're somehow going to beat Trump running the economy? Or Trump's finger on the nuclear launch code button 
I don't think this is going to be a big part of the election. I think the election is going to be litigated over people's economic reality. What is their economic reality, Mook? That's such a damn sight better than it was during the eight years of the Obama administration. Anyway, the fascinating thing here is that I don't think we're even going to be talking about this in the campaign. Bottom line is, whether this guy's right or wrong about that, they don't want witness. Here's a picture. We can, For those of you watching a dental cam, here's a picture of the coronavirus task force. And we're throwing it up on the dental cam now. And this is what CNN This is proof that there's no diversity in the Trump administration. And this is proof that we have no business listening to what this task force comes up with because it's a bunch of racist pigs. That right there, that picture right there proves that there's no diversity in the Trump administration. That's what CNN sees when there is a meeting on the coronavirus uh, convened. Here, this move on to soundbite number eight. This is Allison Camerata, CNN This Morning. CNN has just found out in this soundbite that Trump's approval numbers continue to go up during impeachment. His approval ratings, they've gone up since the impeachment process began October 2019. This is a Quinnipiac University. He was at 38 percent. Now he's at 43 percent. You saw the same thing happen with President Clinton. What is that? What is that that Americans approve of the president when more information comes about, out about what they've done wrong? Totally disconnected from the country. And after three years, they're still in denial. They have no idea. See, to them, it made perfect sense that Clinton's numbers would go up during impeachment because everybody hates the Republicans. But they can't understand how Trump's numbers are going up when they think everybody hates Trump. So here is Joe Lockhart, the former press secretary for Clinton, former uh, press secretary for the NFL for a while, and I guess, uh, da, 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 I don't know if this is in response to Camerata or not, but this, well, let's just see what he's talking about. It happened about. with Bill Clinton. There is a rally around your guy, you know, among your base. But I don't think that this significantly changes his position as he goes to uh, face the voters. He has his base. He has done nothing to expand his base in three years. And that's a problem for him. Democrats Wrong. have an opening over Wrong. the next eight or nine months. Wrong. Which is, and it's a two-pronged attack on Trump, which is, A, he doesn't care about you. He cares about himself. He hasn't really helped you. Secondly, he's corrupt. Can you believe this guy, how, how, how literally divorced from reality he is? Trump doesn't care about you? The reason they hate Trump is that he cares about you. The reason they hate Trump is because who you are that Trump cares about. They have to go so far as to make fun of you and the way you talk. They can't stand that Trump cares about you. They can't stand that Trump has a connection with you. They can't stand that you have a return connection with Trump. They can't stand it. And Trump's base has expanded. What do you think a rising approval number means? His base is expanding. Lockhart, do you see the crowds wherever Trump goes compared to no crowds where any Democrat goes? He hasn't really helped people. 
How about eight years of Obama and the people being told, well, you got to let all these illegals in. We don't have any we don't have any choice. They're doing jobs Americans won't do. We need them to come in. Stop being a racist. Stop being a xenophobe. We're not in crisis. These people, these people are better Americans than you are. That's what we were told during Obama's years, illegal immigration. Those people are probably better Americans than you are, they said. Then they said, the economy's in decline. The best days are behind us. You need to get used to the fact that economic growth ain't going to be what it is. You people in Ohio and uh, Michigan lost your jobs. Those jobs aren't coming back, Obama said, but they're back now. What do you mean he doesn't care about people, Lockhart? What do you mean he hasn't really helped people? And second, he's corrupt. Corrupt? American people have been watching full-fledged corruption on full display going on four years now at the FBI, the intelligence agencies, throughout the law enforcement apparatus. Corruption? Trump? You guys haven't made that case despite trying. There's also uh, Adam Schiff news in the sense that he is once again lying and making up conversations that people have supposedly had. Now, pointed out yesterday, Rand Paul tried for two days to get the Chief Justice John Roberts to read his questions about Schiff's involvement with the whistleblower and the whistleblower's buddy, Sean Misko. The Chief Justice, John Roberts, has refused, saying he would not reveal the whistleblower's name. The whistleblower's name is Eric Sharamella. For those of you who haven't heard it yet, Eric Sharamella is the name of the whistleblower, and his buddy is Sean Misko. Ron Johnson asked a question, did the whistleblower and other holdovers from the Obama National Security Council conspire with Schiff staffers in an attempt to impeach the president? Schiff refused to answer. Schiff said, I'm not going to dignify those smears on my staff by giving them any credence whatsoever. What that Schiff cannot answer the question. He can't go up there and deny it because that would be lying under oath. He can't, by the way, the question was asked because everybody knows what happened. Everybody knows what Schiff did with Misko and with Sharamala, a whistleblower. Everybody knows Schiff's staff was involved. Everybody in that room knows it. So Schiff getting all high and mighty. I'm not going to dignify this question with an I'm not going to stand by and watch my great staff smeared. Not going to give this any credence at all. That means that Schiff cannot answer the question without revealing how deeply involved in creating this whole thing he is. Schiff practically burst into tears in his moral outrage being asked about his role in an effort to illegally remove a duly elected president. We've got some Schiff sound bites here. Let me look quickly. Tell you what, let me take a break here. We're about that time anyway, and we got to move on. We'll do that. Uh, your phone call's coming up as well, so sit tight, folks. Back before you know it. 
So I am holding here, my friends, my formerly nicotine-stained fingers. A press release from Lisa Murkowski's office. Well, actually from her. And a headline, Murkowski's statement on Senate impeachment process vote. She basically says she's going to vote no on witnesses. Now, if that holds up, then this is over. That's it. There ain't no way that there are going to be witnesses, if this holds up. However, I don't know when this was prepared, and I don't know how solid this is. Look, the Democrats, as we speak, are using this New York Times leak right now. Adam Schiff, they practically couldn't keep him away from the podium. Look at what the New York Times, New York Times says that 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 John Bolton says that 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 Trump Trump made him call Zelensky and 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 tell Zelensky to be with Rudy and 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 oh, this is horrible and, and and the president's denying it and so and so and so we need to have Bolton up here under oath. We need to get about him now. I don't know if Murkowski decided that her vote was no before this. New York Times bombshell or not, and I don't know why she's so certainly going to vote no. Remember, we had this news yesterday after a 20 to 30 minute meeting with the turtle. Uh, she came out and said that she was going to vote no, and now the press release today, which I just got up 10 minutes ago, and, and the networks are running with it now. Murkowski announces she's a no on witnesses. GOP appears to have votes to block motion. Anybody in their right mind can see that this New York Times bombshell has just been lying in wait. Laying in wait. They've been waiting to dump it. At some point. In fact, you know what? I actually think that after the Kavanaugh thing blew up on him, I I, I think all of this stuff is starting to to bomb on the Democrats and the media don't know it yet. Let me get back to the phones. Ted in Lynchburg, Virginia. Welcome, sir. Great to have you here. Hey, it's great to be here. Hey, the dirty little secret of congressional dysfunctionality, especially in the House of Representatives, is that by statute, they fixed the number of representatives in 1929 at 435 based upon the 1910 census. And they have never increased the number of representatives since, which means that all these people in the Democrat caucus, for example, are captive to the leadership who can give them the money they need to run in their big districts. We need more congressmen. We need to have more democracy in the House. We need more congressmen. Yeah. I have never heard. This is unique in my in my entire career as a broadcaster from schlub to star. Nobody has ever said to me, we need more con Now, I've had them say we need more Republicans, but I've never had anybody say we need to expand the number in the House of Representatives. The House does not function as it was designed by our founders, because they have not increased the number of representatives since the census of 1910. That's over 100 years ago. Well, now, wait a minute. The, 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 the size of various state delegations does change according to modern census. You know, Florida is going to end up having maybe more members of Congress than New York State. But there's only 435. Well, that's not a magic number. That was established by statute in 1920. Right, so how many do we need, do you think, now? 
Well, I think we need to keep in mind that the, the bigger the districts, the, the less the connection that the voter has with his representatives, and the more the representative has to kowtow to people with the money that can finance a campaign in the big district. So I, I would say that, you know, I mean, if instead of having, you know, a, a million... Five seconds, so 435, 600, how many do we need? I don't know. I mean, I would I would, I would. Well, say that's we, really helpful. Okay, so this latest New York Times leak is the only thing the Democrat House managers are talking about now. I mean, it's a closing argument time, and they're not even reviewing (laughs) their presented case. They are going wall to wall on this latest New York Times leak. Val Demings, Democrat House manager in Florida, is up there saying this this new manuscript leak, this story in the New York Times, it confirms that Trump told Bolton that there would be no aid until there are investigations. Now, were there any investigations? Can anybody on the other side, can tell, were there any investigations? No. Did Ukraine get its aid? Yes. Was there any delay in the aid? Yes, like a couple of days. Did Ukraine have to do anything regarding Burisma or the Bidens or corruption to get its money? No. So why does any of this matter? We're still talking about what Bolton claims Trump wanted. And they're trying to say, well, in common law, common law, you want to commit a crime, it's the same thing as committing a crime, except the no evidence for this. So they want to get this belief out there that Trump, boy, he wants to do all this horrible, rotten dictator stuff. But none of the things that they accuse him of doing has he done. They're trying to convict him on the basis of he wanted to. And that means he's a dangerous bad guy. Yeah, he wants to suspend the vote in California. He wants to cancel climate change. Whatever the hell it is. We have a great little soundbite here from F. Chuck Todd, NBC News, special coverage of the impeachment trial. And during a discussion about the Republicans eventually voting to acquit Trump, F. Chuck Todd said... I think the thing that's uncomfortable here is the idea that if you basically can harness enough support in the public, you can bulldoze, you can essentially bulldoze the Constitution, perhaps. Or you can... And look, we are a democracy. Uh, That is what we are. We're a republic. Um, We're a democratic republic. But that is... I mean, we are essentially saying... If you commit impeachable offenses, you can get away with it if you're popular enough. Uh, Is this guy for real? So Trump's so popular now. I I thought everybody hated Trump. I thought Trump was reviled. I thought he was despised and he was hated. Now all of a sudden, Trump is so popular he can bulldoze the Constitution. You guys... You guys forgotten about William Jefferson Blythe Clinton? Popularity rose like a skyrocket during his impeachment. This is the sound of utter futility. It is the sound of total frustration. 
Because I'm telling folks, do not doubt me on at every phase of this. Uh, the original allegation Trump cheated, stole, colluded with Russia. They thought they thought they might be able to prevent him being inaugurated. So he gets inaugurated. Here comes Comey, the steel dossier. They really thought that they were going to be able to create a groundswell of public opinion among people who were supposed to be shocked and outraged. This is the guy we voted for. Screw that. We want it back. Throw him out. That's what they were hoping for. That's what they were trying to create. They wanted to create distance between Trump and his voters. They wanted Trump's voters to have an awakening. To realize, oh my God, that guy's a traitor. Get him out of there. Then the Steele dossier, you mean he hired prostitutes to pee on the bed that Obama, get him out of there. Every phase, they thought going in that it was going to win. And Mueller, the Mueller investigation, oh, that that was that, that was going to be the orgasm of all orgasms. That was going to be Trump gone the day the report came out. Important thing here, psychologically, at every phase of this, they, in the media, have convinced themselves that they were going to turn Trump into Nixon and he was going to resign. And at every phase, they failed. And you're listening to this failure. My God, you know, the thing that's really uncomfortable here, the idea that you can harness enough support in public. Here we go. See? Disdain for the American people again. Damn you people. Why do you have to like this guy? Why do you have to so publicly support this guy? If we didn't have to deal with you, we could get rid of this guy. Just because you like the guy, he can go trample the Constitution. That's not what he means. Just because you like the guy, we can't destroy him. That's what this all really means. If Chuck doesn't care about the Constitution, he doesn't even know that we're a representative republic. Not a democratic republic. We're a representative republic. And as far as Chuck Todd's concerned... It's the media that should have the power to determine who's elected and who's thrown out of office and who's hated and who's liked. And they can't make you hate Donald Trump. They can't make you dislike Donald Trump. And they can't stand it. And do not question me on this. This is exactly what this is. They think they have the power. Ever since Watergate, well, even before that, but Woodward, Bernstein, all that, and the, the fact that they cannot alter public opinion on Trump has them feeling impotent to the point that they've never experienced it. Who's next? Mel in uh, Reno, Nevada. Welcome, sir. Great to have you on the EIB Network. Hi. Hello, Rush. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, I want to make a point about um, the next uh, election here. I think that uh, Trump is definitely going to win this next time around. My concern is who's going to be our bench guy? Who's going to be the next guy or girl that takes it over and keeps these programs going, builds on it? Um, I'm thinking Ted Cruz, maybe. I want to get your thoughts. Uh, Well, you know, it's an interesting question. uh, This is the Lisa Murkowski press release. I'm throwing this. I already know what it says. I don't mean to be rude here. I need to clear the clutter from... Uh, 
my question to you is, Mel, do you think, so Trump, let's hypothetically, Trump wins and serves the next four years. Do you think at that point that the Republican Party will then be Trump's party? Or do you think that maybe the Republican Party will not want any more Trump and might want to go a different direction? I, I think they're going to want to be like Trump. I think a four more years will bring some more people along. You've seen the Rand Pauls and other people turn and, and get on his side. I, I agree with you. Years. I think if you look at the look, look at the the young, energetic uh, Republicans in Congress, the Jim Jordans, the John Ratcliffs. Gosh, I don't want to leave anybody out here. Uh, uh, Lee Zeldin. I mean, there's all kind of. Uh, I'm leaving some out. Uh, Kevin McCarthy. There's a, there's a bunch of them here that are a new breed. They are, they're brawlers. They're fight. They're, they're not the typical Republican afraid of the media, afraid of what's going to be said about them if they stand up. And I think that this is. It's been a while. It's been a long time coming, but it's a trend, and I think it is going to be more and more obvious. The Republican Party is Trump's party. Take a look at this unity. You know, this is something that has a lot of people. In Washington, even people on our side, folks, really, really kind of puzzled. The the Republican Party, if you go back to Trump being elected 2016 and gets inaugurated 2017, the first, remember the first nine months, they couldn't get anything done. They couldn't agree on reforming, getting rid of Obamacare, nothing. You know why? Because a lot of House Republicans a, resented Trump or hated him, and B, believed this Russian story. And they thought he was toast. They thought it was only a matter of time. They fell for that whole hog hook, line, and sinker. As such, they didn't want to make any investment tying themselves to Trump because they didn't want to be sent out of town with him. And then, nine months into 2017, things began to change as it became obvious now, see, and to most of us, it was obvious from day one. But to these Republicans, they began to see that maybe this Russia thing is made up. That maybe it's a hoax. That maybe the whole thing is a is a is a gigantic coup. Well, you go back to the first nine months, two thousand seventeen to today. The fact that not a single Republican in the House of Representatives has voted with the Democrats once on anything regarding this impeachment. Not one Republican has fallen out. You realize how unique that is? The Republicans haven't had that kind of unity They didn't have this kind of unity back in 1995 after they'd won the House for the first time in 40 years. You still had some Republicans back then that didn't like Newt, didn't like the incoming House freshman. And it's uncanny to have this kind of unity. I'm telling you, there are people in the media, even on our side, in Washington, who still can't believe this. In the Senate... In the Senate, you kind of expect it. We've got the usual suspects. There's three or four of them over there that we all make jokes that we can count on them voting with the Democrats. Murkowski, Susan Collins, uh, 
to a couple others depending. But in the House, not one. Not one in this. So it is Trump's party, particularly in the House. And in the Senate, you realize how normal it would have been for a few Republicans to vote for witnesses? That would have been perfectly normal. That's who they are, voting against their party for whatever reason. Isn't going to happen? What's the reason for this unity, do you think? And if it holds, and Trump does serve a second term, then it's clearly going to be his party, and whoever ends up seeking to replace him, whoever runs for the Republican nomination in 2024, I don't think they're going to be squishes. I mean, you might have a couple. You're going to have some never-Trumpers out there all the time. I just object totally to the mean-spirited nature of our party, and we must get back to the well-mannered party that got rolled all the time. That's when things were more normal. You're going to have those people out there all the time, but they're not going to be prominent. It's astounding when you stop and not one defection, folks. Not one I got to take a brief break, a brief timeout, obscene profit timeout. Back with much more after this. It's Open Line Friday. Here is Stuart in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Great to have you, Stuart. How are you, sir? Hey, Rush. Love you. Great man. Uh, question is this. Lee Greenwood sings a song about starting over with his children and his wife. My question to you is, if you had to start over with nothing, what are some things that money can buy that you would miss. (laughs) What a clever, clever question. Let me translate this. If you were poor and destitute and pooping in the streets of San Francisco, what would you miss the most? That's right. That money can buy. In other words, money can't buy happiness, but we're going to pretend here that what what would you miss that you can afford now that you can't afford wouldn't be able to afford oh man well there's now this is one of these questions do i answer this honestly or do i try to come up with something clever yeah at the top of the list would have to be eib1 because i still pinch myself when i got on board that thing Stuart? right uh, okay. th- 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 there's hands down that 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 would be. I mean, what else? Uh, now, Mr. Snurdly says I would miss the iPhone more. Than, yeah, but the iPhone would be within range. Now, if I were, well, wait a minute. He didn't say. Wait a minute. He didn't say poor, destitute, and hopeless. He didn't say poor, destitute, and talentless. He said, I'm starting over again. Meaning, I've done it once, I can do it again. The iPhone is aspirational, true. But EIB-1 is much, much, much more aspirational than an iPhone. But Snurdly's point is correct. To, to I mean, <laughs> it is kind of silly how much I like the thing. I, it is incredible how much pleasure I get out of it. And you know what else? It is almost disturbing how much disappointment it it creates. For example, 
Now, wait, I got to draw the line on this somewhere. I mean, well, I don't want to be misunderstood, but there's nothing about the iPhone itself that disappoints me other than the lack of speed of technological innovation. Uh, But, like, I'm disappointed today. I've been disappointed. I thought that that a new beta of iOS 13.4 would be released on Monday. It wasn't. They released 13.3.1 to everybody. So I thought, okay, beta of 13.4 is coming Tuesday. It didn't. I thought it was coming Wednesday. It didn't. Since it didn't come yesterday, I know it's not coming today because they never introduced betas on Friday. So I'm gonna I'm gonna spend the weekend disappointed. That's silly, right? But I mean, he asked. So now the iPhone, all this all this tech stuff, not just the iPhone. Uh, tech stuff is a it's a brain exercise for me. It's it's something that keeps. My uh, my brain from stagnating to keep up with this stuff is a challenge. It's fun to do, but it would be within range if I were destitute, hopeless, pooping in the streets of San Francisco, because he didn't say that I had no chance of getting it again. So interesting question. I appreciate that, Stuart. Thanks. So take a break and be back after this. So I'm looking at the closing arguments, the House managers. You know, it's all media. Every They're talking about things in their closing arguments have nothing to do with the case they presented. Now they're quoting from a Daily Beast story about how Ukraine supposedly trusted Bolton more than Trump. And a New York Times story saying that Bolton was told by Trump to go out and make sure Giuliani could grease the skids for the investigation. It is. I'm getting emails from people who really wish that Schiff would be called, and I'll explain why in a minute. Well, I'll tell you something, folks. I'm sitting here. I'm watching a little bit of the House managers' closing argument, their presentation, and it is obvious. It is unmistakable. That the Democrat House managers knew last night about this New York Times leak that's been unveiled from John Bolton's manuscript right before this program began today. They've got graphics, they've got charts prepared based on this leak that happened two hours ago. They are going all in. We gotta go Bolton. Bolton knows Trump better than Then Trump knows Trump. Bolton Bolton knows everything about how Trump pressured Ukraine. These people are acting like the Bidens were investigated, that Hunter Biden is in jail, that Ukraine never got its aid, and somehow all of that is a crime. None of it's happened. Ukraine got its aid. There was no delay. There was no investigation. None of this matters unless they want to try to say Donald Trump is just a bad guy. We hate Trump. He ought not be president. But even F. Chuck Todd is beside himself. They can't talk people into hating Trump. And Trump's popularity is letting him get away with all of this. Trump is bullying the Constitution. It's all because of his popularity. It's all because we can't make him unpopular. 
Greetings and welcome back. Open line Friday, final hour, busy broadcast day today. Here is evidence again, and I just want you to know, been telling you all week that the primary objective here is to dirty the acquittal, dirty it up, make it, have an asterisk suspect. It's illegitimate like the whole Trump presidency is. It's because of partisanship. The Republicans don't want to hear me up, whatever it is. Here's Chuck U. Schumer making a case today. Number 12. Somebody number 12. Three, two, one. If my Republican colleagues refuse to even consider witnesses and documents in this trial, this country is headed towards the greatest cover-up since Watergate. Really? What will the president conclude? Really? We all know he'll conclude he can do it again. And Congress can do nothing about it. He can try to cheat in his election again. If my Republican colleagues refuse to consider witnesses and documents in this trial, the president's acquittal will be meaningless. See? There will be a permanent asterisk. See? Next to the acquittal of President Trump, written in permanent ink. This country's headed towards the greatest cover-up since Watergate. What will the president conclude? We all know he'll conclude he can do it again. Congress can do nothing about it. He didn't do anything. It remains the most amazing aspect of this. He didn't do anything. And yet all of Washington is captivated by it. He didn't do anything. He did not do what these allegations are. Yes, he did, Rush. He really wanted, he wanted Ukraine to invent, but they didn't. And he didn't want to give them the aid, but they got it. This is Realville, uh, Literalville. This ain't Washington. This makes no sense to anybody that has even a smidgen of common sense. The only way it makes sense is if people understand the abject hatred that the Democrats have for Trump. Now, I want to move on to Schiff. I got a couple emails from people who uh, who said, Rush, you, you need to rethink this witnesses business. We need witnesses because if we don't get Schiff called and if Schiff isn't exposed, we're never getting rid of Schiff. In fact, Adam Schiff is said to be the person that's going to win Dianne Feinstein's Senate seat when she finally throws in a towel. And so these emails, Rush, this guy has got to be exposed. We've got the only way to do it is to have everything he's done here be exposed under oath with him being forced to answer questions or lie about it or what happened. I understand that. But then this whole thing becomes a circus. If you open this thing up to witnesses, it's not going to end. Now, Schiff himself said, I'll make you a deal. I'll make it. We'll just call Bolton and we'll just take one week, one week for the deposition. And then after we depose him, then we'll bring him up under oath. And so just and we'll get one week is it. <laughs> one week. I promise you, Schiff said. Here, by the way, grab soundbite number 16. I've got some Schiff stuff that I want you to uh, hear. Now, as a brief recap of yesterday, I recounted for everybody how Schiff 
was intimately involved in this entire whistleblower episode. Eric Sharmala, Sharmella, and the his friend Sean Misko, how the whole thing happened, how they coordinated with Schiff's staff and in Schiff's office, and that everybody in the room knows it. Everybody they've tried to, Rand Paul and others have sent questions to the Chief Justice, designed to get these questions asked so as to, it's it's been almost like uh, treating Schiff as a witness by virtue of the questions that you ask. And so he was asked this very question. It was uh, submitted by Senator Ron Johnson. And the Chief Justice read it yesterday. Recent reporting described two National Security Council staff holdovers from the Obama administration, that would be Sharmella and Sean Misko, attending an all-hands meeting of National Security Council staff held about two weeks into the Trump administration and talking loudly enough to be overheard saying, we need to do everything we can to take out the president. On July 26, 2019, the House Intelligence Committee hired one of those people, Sean Misko. That's Schiff's staff. He was hired. He was hired to shepherd the whistleblower thing through the committee. He's one of the two who was overheard saying, in the White House, we've got to figure out a way to take Trump out. The report further describes relationships between Misko, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, and an individual alleged as the whistleblower. Why did your committee, this question is of Schiff and it's being read by the Chief Justice, why did your committee hire Sean Misko the day after the phone call between President Trump and Zelensky? And what role has he played throughout your committee's investigation? So this is it. And this, folks, this question is proof that what I said yesterday about the everybody knows it. Everybody knows what Schiff done, did. Everybody knows what his role in this has been. And summation again, just to make sure there's no confusion because I've mixed sources here. Sean Misko, Eric Sharamello. Two guys, National Security Council staff, Obama holdovers, close to John Brennan, CIA. Two weeks in the White House, two weeks after Trump's elected, overheard saying, we got to figure out a way to get Trump out. After the phone call, well, actually, uh, the day after the phone call, Misko goes over to Schiff's staff, preparing for the arrival of the whistleblower complaint. There's no question that this happened. And so Chief Justice says again to Schiff, why did your committee hire Sean Misko the day after the phone call between Trump and Zelensky? What role has Misko played throughout your committee's investigation? This question refers to allegations in a newspaper article which are circulating smears on my staff and ask me to respond to those smears. And I will not dignify those smears on my staff by giving them any credence whatsoever. Nor will I share any information that I believe could or could not lead to the identification of the whistleblower. I want to be very clear about something. Members of this body used to care about the protection of whistleblower identities. 
They didn't used to gratuitously attack members of committee staff. But now they do. Now they do. Now they'll take an unsubstantiated, repressed article and use it to smear my staff. I think that's disgraceful. Nobody's smearing your staff. Your st- By the way, your staff deserves to be smeared. Your staff is dirty. Congressman Schiff, you're dirty. Everybody knows what you did. Vindman gives the contents of the phone call to Sharamella. Sharamella goes to Schiff. Misko's already over on Schiff's staff. Sharamella says, oh, this is outrageous. This is terrifying. This is, oh my God, this is horrible. Schiff then directs Sharamella to go to the, the inspector general to which he should have gone first. The inspector general then decides to make a random change in the law, in the regulations, permitting secondhand whistleblower knowledge instead of firsthand, because Sharamella was not on the call. Again, I have to remember, everybody in the Senate chamber knows what I just told you, and it's represented in this question. And Schiff will not answer it. He goes through this rigmarole, I'm not going to dignify it. He can't answer it because to answer it would be to lie. So this is why people think that we need witnesses, because this is the only way Adam Schiff is going to end up being is the only way his political career is going to be permanently damaged is if the truth of his involvement in all of this comes out. So would that would that be worth it to you to blow this trial up, go ahead and call witnesses, including Schiff, witnesses that might claim Fifth Amendment or what have you? So I'm still maintaining to you the Democrats... For all of this caterwauling and whining today, don't want witnesses for this very reason. They don't want the Bidens up there, even if they do take the fifth. They don't want it explained why the Bidens are there to people right now who don't know. The media, however, wants it all because the media thinks this is the way they get rid of Trump. Now, Schiff... In addition to this answer yesterday, he did it again in the Senate chamber, made up a conversation between Trump and Putin and Rudy and China. So grab soundbite number 21. This is a 21, yeah, this is a preference, or a, 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 I want to do this first. This is from September 26th. Last year, House Intelligence Committee hearing, and Adam Schiff is telling people what President Trump said to Zelensky on the phone call. Now, the phone call transcript by this time has been released. Everybody involved in all this has read it and seen it. Schiff lies through his teeth about it, makes it up. Got away with it for 30 minutes before a Republican on the committee called him out. When he was called out, he said, I'm sorry, I was just a parody. I was just, you know, doing satire. No, he wasn't because it wasn't funny. He was purposely lying 
and misrepresenting and mischaracterizing what Trump had said. And this is what it was. This is the essence of what the president communicates. We've been very good to your country. Very good. No other country has done as much as we have. But you know what? I don't see much reciprocity here. I hear what you want. I have a favor I want from you, though. And I'm going to say this only seven times, so you better listen good. I want you to make up dirt on my political opponent, understand lots of it, on this and on that. I'm going to put you in touch with people, and not just any people. I'm going to put you in touch with Attorney General of the United States, my Attorney General, Bill Barr. He's got the whole weight of the American law enforcement behind him. And I'm going to put you in touch with Rudy. You're going to love him, trust me. You know what I'm asking, and so I'm only going to say this a few more times, in a few more ways. And by the way, don't call me again. I'll call you when you've done what I asked. None of that happened. Now, Trump or, or Schiff did this in a way to make people who might happen to be watching think this is actually what Trump said. This is exactly how they do it. In Trump, sorry, in Schiff's mind, this is what Trump did. This is how sick these people are. This is how absorbed in their hatred for Trump that they make this stuff up. This is the pathology. They make this stuff up. Trump never said to anybody, I want you to make up some dirt. I'm only going to say this seven times, so you listen good. I want you to make up dirt on my political opponent. Understand lots of it on this and on that. I'm going to put you in touch with people, and I don't want you getting back to me till you've done what I've asked here. None of that happened. Trump never demanded anything. He never demanded that dirt be made, never even used the word dirt. But now Trump and dirt and the phone call have become synonymous in media reporting on the phone call, even though the transcript is out, it's been seen, and it's not even close. Well, Schiff did this again on the floor of the Senate yesterday. Uh, I'll have that after the break, and of course, more of your phone calls, because it's Open Line Friday, so hang on. Grabs helmet number 14. Another question is Adam Schiff making it up again. As we just shared with you. So here's a question from Senator Ed Mackey, Democrat of Massachusetts, Chief Justice reading it. It has recently been reported that the Russians have hacked the Ukrainian natural gas company Burisma, presumably looking for information on Hunter Biden. Have you heard this? Has anybody heard the Russians hacked Burisma? Well, anyway, that's the question, said Mark. They're making it up, I think. Our intelligence community has warned us that the Russians will be interfering in the 2020 election. Yeah, we got that memo. It's a memo from the CIA. To all talk show hosts, big and small, the Russians intend to interfere in the election again in 20... We all get the memo. If Donald Trump is acquitted of these charges, but is later found to have invited Russian or other foreign interference in the 2020 election... What recourse will there be for Congress under the Dershowitz standard for impeachment, which requires a president to have committed a statutory crime? Let's say it were found that they did so at the request of the president of the United States. Stop that the in date! One of the-, the premise is flawed in the first place because it hasn't happened. 
if Donald Trump's acquitted, but is later found to have invited Russian interference in 2020. There wasn't any Trump interference in 2016. They're making it up that it's going to happen in 2020. And Schiff says, let's say it were found that they did so at the request of the president. So we're off in fantasy land again. These meetings that the president had with Vladimir Putin, if the president went further and said to Putin in that secret meeting, I want you to hack Burisma. I couldn't get the Ukrainians to do it. And I'll tell you what, if you hack Burisma and you get me some good stuff, then I'm going to stop sending money to Ukraine. And I'll go a step further. I'm going to stop sending money to Ukraine so that they can't fight you and Donbass. And what's more, those sanctions that we imposed on you for your intervention on my behalf in the last election, I'm going to make those go away. I'm going to simply refuse to enforce them. I'm going to call it a policy difference. This guy needs to be taken someplace with Antonio Brown so he can get some help. He is on the verge here of seriously losing it. He makes that up off the top of his head as though it has already happened or is going to happen. If he's acquitted, this is what Trump's going to do. Now, folks, nobody has found any evidence that Trump has done anything of the sort with anybody. The Russians and the Democrats are who have been in bed with each other. Hillary Clinton and so And yet this guy's off and answering a question like this as though it's happening now. You know, uh, folks, I, I made reference to this hours ago on this program, shortly after it began, when this miraculously timed, miraculously coincidentally timed bombshell from the New York Times hit. Oh, yes. Uh, right as the program was beginning, uh, bombshell New York Times claiming the manuscript of the Bolton book says... Bolton writes that Trump called him in May, two months before the phone call to Zelensky in Ukraine, said, I want you to put pressure on him. I want you to get him ready for Rudy. I want you to let them know that we're going to be pressuring them for an investigation into the Bidens. Then the House managers begin their closing arguments, and guess what? They've got charts. They got graphs. They got quotes from the New York Times leak. And it's It's now, it's the playbook, and it is now so obvious it's become a joke. Every senator in that room knows exactly what's going on here. We're listening to closing arguments that are a coordinated, last gasp, Hail Mary for witnesses or what have you, that the New York Times found somebody to leak them something else from the manuscript of Bolton's book. There's a chart right there that they're throwing up with testimony from previous administrations like Condoleezza Rice and Sandy Burglar. It's all coordinated. And you know what? When this all blew up on them after Kavanaugh is was the beginning of the end of this in terms of it 
mattering in terms of public opinion. Because throughout this process, what has happened to Trump's public opinion? It's gone up. His approval opinion, approval numbers are rising. The trend line for Trump in all of these personal approval polls is up. And you, you don't wonder about Trump, Trump uh, Republican unity. Look at the approval number Trump is getting from minorities, Hispanics, African Americans, and the unemployment numbers in those groups. They can't even make a dent in the guy. And it's become, they've gone to the well so many times, they want this to look like that it's a legitimate, oh my God, we just found this bump. Oh my God, we got to stop. We got to stop. Look, look what we found. Trump, Trump did it. Oh my God, he did it. He really did it. Except they've gone to the well so many times that they're now becoming a joke. Now they, they have become a caricature of themselves. And the media ditto. The Democrats and the media are doing a joint exercise that is destroying the reputation and credibility of both of them. One more shift bite, and then back to the phones, because this this is another made-up story. Last night, Senate floor impeachment trial. Here is Schiff talking about a new and possible quid pro quo that he's worried about if Trump is acquitted. Rudy Giuliani does another errand for the president, this time an errand in China. And he says to the Chinese, we will give you a favorable deal with respect to Chinese farmers as opposed to American farmers. We will betray the American farmer in the trade deal, but here's what we want. The quid pro quo is we want you to do an investigation of the Bidens. You know the one, the one the president's been calling for. Again, this hasn't happened. And yet, here's Adam Schiff of the House, the lead House manager, telling people, yeah, here's here's the next one. If we let Trump go, if we acquit Trump, here's what's going to happen in China. He's going to have the Chinese do the investigation of Biden's next. You watch. You notice how effortlessly these lies and these manufactured, totally made-up, Mythical events just roll off this guy's tongue. Just roll out of this guy's mouth. Somebody really does need to get this guy some help. He is... I think he's lost it. It's it's kind of embarrassing to watch. And there's nobody trying to no, nobody trying to protect him, nobody trying to draw him back in and prevent him from doing this stuff. It's this is seriously deranged, frustrated behavior. These people are not used to not getting their way. They're not used to joint efforts with the media bombing out, and they've had to deal with that now going four years, three years and counting. Okay. John in Tacoma, Washington. I'm glad you waited. I appreciate it. Welcome back. How are you, sir? Oh, very well. Thanks, Rush. It's an honor to speak with you. Thanks for taking my call. You bet, sir. Um, just wanted to let you, you and your audience know what happened last week when I went to the March for the March for Life over in Olympia, Washington. First, there there was a good crowd there. The news outlets that I read said that there were about 5,000 people gathered around the steps of the Capitol building. But there was a change in what happened this year that really caught my attention. See, in past years, 
um, as, as the, as the, the anti-abortion demonstrators would walk around to the steps of the Capitol building, there would be a group of pro-abortion activists shouting obscenities and kind of carrying on in the way you normally see crazy leftists do, um, you know, with their profane, loud, stupid chants as, as we would walk past them. But this year, there was just one counter-demonstrator there. Just one. Um, and, and it struck me so much. I went over and took a picture of them, but I couldn't even tell if this person was a man or a woman because they were hiding behind their sign. They kind of looked like a Kilroy, you know, look, um, looking over their sign. And, and there was none of the regular screaming, none of the regular chants, just that one person standing on the steps of the, of the, the Supreme court building. And they, and they just stood there. And the reason that I wanted to talk to you about this rush. Well, one of the reasons this is, is Olympia, Washington, where this happened. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and that's, and that's part of my point because this is Washington. I mean, we had, we had legalized abortion by popular vote before Roe versus Wade. But now, but now it seems like the hardcore, uh, people who are supporting this have just kind of withered, withered away and, and, and gone away. They just weren't there. And, and the thing is, none of the, as far as I could tell, none of the mainstream media covered this at all. I mean, they did cover that there was a march, and they did cover that there were about five thousand um, pro-life people out there. But they, but nobody seemed to cover that there was just one counter pro or counter demonstrator out there. And I'm hoping one that this is an indicator of what of how popular opinion is going in the country. But also, I, I was thinking about with this backdrop. I mean, right now we have the most pro-life president that I've ever, that I've ever seen. I think the most pro-life president that we've ever had. And so my, my impression is we got to keep supporting this guy through all the garbage he's going through. I mean, this impeachment is just one of the last things, but, but we got it. We got to keep supporting him. Right. Okay. Um, so your, your, your question has to do with, uh, why the, where, where have the, the pro boards gone? Where, the, where have the pro choicers gone? It's, it's, it's a good question. I, I, I would have to speculate. State of Washington, uh, you would be far more equipped to answer that than than I. The only thing I can tell you about this is the way it has changed the Republican Party. Look, in 1992, I went to Republican convention in Houston, and it was known that that convention was known for the pro-choice Republican women that were demanding that the Republican Party get rid of this pro-life position. And interestingly, the leader of Women for Choice in the Republican Party was Ann Stone, the wife of Roger Stone at the time. And it was a huge... It was also this convention... Uh, where the Republican Party was raked over the coals by a, a a woman who had acquired AIDS through a blood transfusion. The Republican Party was being told left and right what a bunch of bigots it is for not having the right attitude about homosexuals and AIDS and then pro-choice. Now look, there is no pro-choice Republican coalition to speak of. The pro-life contingent, the Republican Party, owns it. They have totally beaten it back. There isn't any. This is a major, major political victory and achievement for pro-life political groups and forces. 
because in addition to the morality of the issue, they also fight it in the political arena. So it's a, it's a political success that they've had. And as an issue, it's no longer dividing the Republican Party. It used to be a huge thing. I couldn't go anywhere without these establishment Republicans getting all over me, telling me I had to get the Christians in line or I had to get the pro-lifers in line to get them to calm down, to get them to shut up. We're never going to win an election again if these people don't shut up. Now look. It's the pro-aborts and the pro-choicers who aren't even around. And your story of staying in Washington makes it sound like the reason is, or the question is why. Trump is, you know, Trump was, he's not been a pro-lifer his whole life. Trump was a New Yorker and pro-choice only because it was the path of least resistance. Yeah, I believe in a woman's right to choose. Leave me alone. Go away. I don't want to make a big deal out of it. But that, that was the position you had to have as a New Yorker. If you're going to be popular in New York, pop culture popular, if you're going to be politically popular, but now Trump, the first sitting president to attend the March for Life in Washington in person. There isn't any Republican president's ever done that. So it it represents a massive political victory and achievement on part of everybody in the pro-life aspect and pro-life movement in the Republican Party. It's a slam dunk win and the party is now known for it. And guess what? Guess what? Something we've said all along, it doesn't hurt. It's not why Republicans were losing elections back then. The pro-life movement is not why Republicans... You couldn't win an election as a Republican without those voters. There are that many of them. It was never true that they were costing the Republican votes. In fact, it probably was much more true stated the other way. Anyway, John, I appreciate the call. I got to run, but we've got more when we get back. Stay with us. All right, so I just had a brief minute to catch a little bit on television moments ago as the Senate took a took a break from testimony. And I, I thought I heard somebody say that it was now clear that this trial is going to go on all the way through next Thursday. Even though the Democrats are going to lose on the vote for witnesses. There are now 51 Republicans that will vote no. And they're going to lose an acquittal. So I'm... I'm you know, clacking the keyboard here. Did I hear this right? This is going to go on through next Thursday through the state of the or did I did I not hear that right? So, uh, regardless, my friends, John Brennan of the CIA has said that he thinks the State of the Union should be canceled. That Trump should not be permitted to give the State of the Union because he's been impeached. And in a fair trial, he'd have been convicted. And so what's the guy going to say? The State of the Union is strong? Nobody thinks that, Brennan says. What is the State of the Union? The State of the Union is the Democrats keep losing here. I guess that's why we can't say it's strong. Anyway, have a great weekend, folks. Super Bowl coming up. Hope whatever happens in your way is what you want. Yeah, regardless, we'll be back here Monday and see you then. 